0: This Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTube Pride Challenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride.
1: Progressive presents Married to Your Home.
0: Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
3: And welcome I'm joined by Kurt Collins who is an author and a researcher behind the Blue Blueberry Lines website which is devoted to reinvestigating the 1980 C- Texas Cashlandrum UFO case among other things after retiring from a long career as a retail manager in retail management kurt began his work on the mysteries and the legends associated with ufos and more recently was part of the Roswell slides research group kurt lives in the deep southern united states near jackson mississippi Welcome to a different perspective, Kurt. Thank you. And that's all you're going to say. <laughs> just leave me <laughs> yeah. hanging there.
4: Okay, well, let's see. <laughs> um, just to get things started, I um, happened to look at one of your books here, Project Moondust, which I picked up because it had uh, a section on the Cash Lanham case. And, in fact, you were kind enough to allow me to excerpt part of that as long as as well as one of your books. Um, your um, blog articles to do a guest article at my blog. So I had kind of put, kind of put together your comments on the case then and now, and, and I thought it was interesting from your uh, perspective um, for a number of reasons. One is which is your experience as a helicopter pilot, which has bearing on that case.
3: It has a great bearing on that case, and we'll get to that case in just a few minutes. I wanted to start off with the Roswell Slides, since you were part of the Roswell Slides Research Group, which had a hand in deblurring the placard that gave us all the answers. Can you give us a little bit of a background on how you got a hold of the placard and what exactly went, uh, went on in the de-blurring process?
4: You, well, sure. Uh, you know, first of all, the the group was put together of of mainly a group of friends. Although, as as we went on, we saw we needed uh, had to call in a few other people with expertise in in different areas, um, and, and including some people with um, you know some um, uh, medical skills to to look at pictures of the body. But as far as the placard itself, Jose Antonio Caravaca, Spanish UFO researcher, had. Um, well, he was sort of our Spanish language liaison. He had connections, uh, even though he lived in Spain, with uh, you know, a lot of Spanish-speaking people in Mexico, and um, he was also in contact, um, somewhat, with uh, both Jaime Masson, Adam Dew, and and other individuals. And somehow, uh, he was able to get right after the show, a um, first a a the, the before it was released a a picture of the the body picture from the Roswell slide the one that uh, the one that had the woman in it the one that did not show the placard clearly and then the next day he was able to get a shot that isolated the placard itself and uh, you know I looked at it first and and I wasn't terribly impressed it looked you know I, I even wondered what language it was written in I mean it was it wasn't very clear and but our one of our french members uh, nab later had talked about this uh, software Smart deblur which can be used to uh, clear up pictures if there's either a focusing problem or a a camera shake so he started to work immediately on that and within a couple of hours this placard that was universally said you know to be unreadable by ex- every expert that looked at it and, and by the way the smart deblur is is nothing exotic in fact what he used was a free demonstration ver- version of it that you can still get on the internet uh, but within two hours, he had the top line, and it said "mummified body of two-year-old boy," and it took a long time to get the rest of it and, and to perfect it. But you know that's that's how it was. That's how it started there.
3: Well, what's interesting about that is, according to uh, what Don Schmidt had said, and uh, what Tom Carey has suggested, that they did not have access to high-quality scans before the Be Witness program down in Mexico City. Um, but I think we found information that suggests that's not true. Uh, is, and you found some of those uh, sources as well, didn't you?
4: Well, one of them was uh, was actually in the comments of your own blog by one of their, uh, I don't know if you call him teammate or advisor, Dr. David Rudiak. He um, he said when uh, I think that the issue was first raised about the placard, he said, um, "What images did do obscure the placard in? There is much to criticize and how do handled everything. Adam Dew is the promoter of the slides, by the way. He was the, the uh, I don't know if he was the owner, but he was the co-owner in the company promoting the slides. Um, um, what did he do to? Uh, what images did do obscure the placard in? There's much." Well, let to me critical. let me
3: interrupt here because we're going to sure. have to take a quick break, and and then we'll come back to this immediately when we're done with our break. So I'll be back with Kurt Collins. We'll talk about the Roswell slides and a few other things right after this. This is Kevin Randall. And we are back with Kurt Collins. Before we went away, we were talking briefly about the Roswell slides. And uh, Kurt, you were talking about something that uh, Dr. David Rudiak had said about the quality of the scans that had been provided to uh, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt uh, in an attempt to blur the placard on the slide. Uh, you want to follow up on that?
4: Yeah, just to finish his quote, he said that the uh, well, I'm paraphrasing this part. He said the charges of uh, of the ma- being manipulated was baseless. And then I'll pick up his quote. He said, "I did not receive an obscured placard three years ago. What I received uh, as exactly the same high-resolution placard that do finally posted on his website after May fifth. And this was this was the man that um, the team themselves were using as one of their experts to the deburr, and he's. You know, that's I'm sure he would say that again. He said that this was the, the same thing, and it was unaltered.
3: So, uh, we have some evidence then that, that the uh, placard was a high resolution scan that he had received from, from them in an attempt to read it. But isn't there also uh, some information that they had uh, seen both slides prior to the problems in Mexico City?
4: That's that's true, and the, the, the current claims are made that they only saw close-ups and that it was possibly tampered, and they didn't see the full images. And the first evidence against that is the um, the B witness, well, the Kodachrome trailer that Adam Dew released. And even though the images of the slides were were blurred, you could see the full frame of the slide to see the um, you know so the edges of, of where it was, was cropped. You know, you could see the whole picture. And if they had only seen the body, a red flag should have gone off that, well, wait a minute, what's this stuff in the background? We've never seen this before. But from their own lips, there is um, the, um, Don Schmidt had said on a, on a previous radio, radio show with uh, Richard Surrett, uh this was before the show, April 12, 2015, he said, I was the first one to meet with the owner. I was actually able to look at and handle this evidence these slides so and and you know we were assured before the show again and again that they had done three years of due diligence everything was checked out and verified and and before the show they they made no such um you know expressed no concern that they hadn't seen the genuine article
3: well let Um, me let me interrupt here real quick and, and just point out that uh on my blog, which is at uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, I normally post a link to the show as it as it appears on YouTube, and in that article on my blog, I will also uh, put together a link to this particular uh, episode of the Conspiracy Show, so that you can actually hear Don Schmidt and Tom Carey talking about what they had received early on.
4: There was there was another show. It was. Um Fade to Black with Jimmy Church, and this was um, this was also in April, April 20th, before the show. And Tom Carey, uh, the host, asked Tom Carey if um, oh, you know about seeing the images. Tom Carey said they'd been e- emailed to him and, and to get him interested in, in the project. And he said, and the host asked if it was high resolution, or he said high res. And Tom Carey said yes. And then he goes on to describe the body, the people standing behind them, and he gave no indication of anything being cropped. And if you're going to crop, one of the things you're going to lose is the people standing behind the case. And and the first one, you can see the the, uh, woman, and in the second one, there's a man, and that's the one where the placard is seen more clearly.
3: So what we have here is a case of them receiving the slides, apparently high-resolution copies of the slides, and that um, they are now sort of suggesting that they were not Privy to that, the best information available till after the Be Witness program, or, or uh, conference down there in Mexico City, and yet within literally hours of you all getting uh, high-resolution scans of the the slides and the placards, you were able to understand exactly what was going on. Uh, to be fair to both Tom and Don, now I will I will point out that they have now conceded the point that what they had. Or what they were shown was a, a picture of a mummy. So I think it's pretty well established in most, and I underscore the most, of the UFO community that what is the image on the slides is a poor, unfortunate child who died several hundred years ago in the desert Southwest, and I guess was mummified by the natural processes of the of the area. And we have the documentation from the point where. The uh, body was exhumed in 1898, I believe, 1897, 1898, up to it being taken to various museums and ending up in Montezuma's castle in, I think, Arizona, and eventually returned to the native peoples for the proper interment. So I think this really is kind of closed out, and it's not the uh, highlight of ufological investigation that we might have hoped it to be. Having said all that myself personally, and taking the floor away from Gerd Collins, I know that he wanted to talk about the Cash Landrum case, which I think is a very interesting case, and you, you brought it up uh, earlier. So let's let's move on to Cash Landrum. Can you give us just a brief overview of what exactly happened?
4: I can. And I'm going to beg to put that off for a little bit because I'm not finished with the slides because there's uh-huh. something that you talked about. <laughs> okay. You talked about the investigation and, and the, thing, the, the fact that, the, uh, that anyone mistook the, um, the body for an alien picture. I can understand that, especially if, if you're a UFO investigator and someone comes to you and says, I have something you might be interested in, and there's this strange body. And it, and you know there there have been other cases where strange bodies and in fact other mummies have been misrepresented as alien bodies. I can understand that mistake. That was the first thing. There was all these other things that were built up around it that were circumstantial evidence. And and I really think a lot of that came from the other things in other pictures in the collections of the the uh, the side collection of the rays. There were pictures of. Um, Dwight D. Eisenhower, General Eisenhower. There was a picture of a woman who looked a little bit like his wife Mamie standing in a museum. There were pictures of air shows. And from and from some of these pictures, like the air show one, I think they got that Hilda uh, must have been a pilot. And
3: now Hilda Hilda um, Ray is a woman who apparently took the pictures, the slides. She used the one that took the pictures, known the slides, correct?
4: That's right. And and some of the other pictures Well, as we know now that it was really a collection of of their travels, their vacation pictures and some events they attended. They had pictures of of celebrities playing golf, and they had, you know, vacation shots from Europe and and things like that. And there were also things from, well, there was one from um, the um, Great Sand Dunes National Park in...
3: Southern Colorado, I believe. So the... Uh, Dune areas in southern Colorado, and Hilda Ray and and her husband um, Bernard were the people who would taken the photographs.
4: And the uh, the collection, when it was presented in the in the uh, trailer for the the show, and, and the the clips, and the website of SlideBox Media, many of them were displayed backwards. And I think you had mentioned at the time that General Eisenhower had his medals on the wrong side of his chest, and they had. Uh, uh, just, just several scenes were were backwards, and it made them harder to identify. But as as it was made public, uh, a lot of people, uh, whether they were uh, for or against um, UFOs or or the story or anything, they were helping identify what was in the picture, the the, the people, the locations. And as more of this information came, some of the story that was kind of built around it crumbled, but the story itself did not. And and so the point I was getting at was that this whole narrative that w- that came around to support the slides was built on uh, circumstantial evidence and, and um, supposition and I don't think there was a single point of it that you know I mean one of the scenarios was that uh, that Mr. Ray had been a geologist that worked in Roswell and so maybe he'd had a chance to film near the crash and there was another dueling scenario where Hilda Ray was connected to General Eisenhower and that allowed her privilege to go into a secret location and film the body. So, but but none of this stuff was substantiated.
3: Well, I think, you know, having pictures of General Eisenhower on a whistle stop, basically, because he's in the back of a train, uh, is, is kind of irrelevant. And what always struck me was, during the Second World War, Eisenhower actually fired a number of... Gen-
1: Progressive presents Married to Your Home. texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages message and data rates may apply reply stop stop opt out
3: Generals ...who were a little bit loose with uh, the security information being shared at Chafe headquarters in London at the time in, in the preparation for the Normandy landing. I could not conceive of a scenario where he'd viol- violate security in that man- manner, allowing civilians, in- not only inside to a, a secure uh, secret facility, but allow them in with a camera and take, film- take photographs and get out of the, uh, the facility with that film intact. So that always bothered me about this as well. So there were problems with the story as it was develop, developing to try to link or provide a provenance for the slides being of, of an alien creature.
4: Well, and so much of the information was sketchy. It was passed on from, and I'm really unclear as to what team member did which research to vet things. I have, I know Adam Duda did a lot of things things on the verification of the, the film itself, which turned out to be genuine, just not of an, a picture of an alien. Um, but, you know, there was research and there were a few people involved in that. But uh, I would say one thing that, that was in the B Witness show is Adam Dew showed a couple of emails he had received after things went public and saying a man knew Hilda Blair-Ray. And he, he sent a picture, and he also said that he didn't know that she knew Mamie Eisenhower, but she knew uh, George and Barbara Bush. Well that was well, information from some guy, and as far as I know, never verified and how, and our uh, the researchers passed that on i mean it's just a very unreliable source
3: well I think the the one thing we need to, to mention is that uh, the blairs are, uh, the the rays lived in Midland, Texas, as did the bushes um, and Bernard Ray was in the oil industry as a geologist uh, in the Permian Basin, which does encompass Roswell. So I would not have a problem with the Rays actually knowing the Bushes, basing their based on the fact that they lived in Midland, Texas, and they were in the oil business. That that makes perfect sense to me. But that does not get Hilda Ray and her husband into a secret facility uh, with General Eisenhower and taking photographs of something that would be extremely uh, classified. So
4: no it was but it was these kind of tenuous links that and and it was um well you know it's as if you have to connect the dots but you have to draw some dots in to make your picture so it just the uh i just don't think that the the research to support this it the you know the claim was you know three years of due diligence and i just don't think that that was that was actually there i mean and 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 i i fully expected when that when the show was presented that we were going to see a lot more supporting evidence and but it wasn't. Everything that had been said about the case beforehand was exactly what they presented on the show, with the exception of the pictures of the of the body. So I, I think that it was the the mistake about the body I can forgive it's the it's the research that went into it. I think that's where there was a real failure.
3: And uh, looking at it as well, I had made some suggestions to them as they were doing the research that that they simply ignored, but I was always bothered by the red flags that seemed to be flying that nobody was talking about at their end. Others outside the uh, little group was certainly talking about that. I looked at all of this very carefully in uh, Roswell in the 21st century, I have a long chapter that details an awful lot of this stuff, especially the things that were being said prior to the... Uh, project of the Be Witness program in Mexico City so that you can get a full look at what that um, was going on at that time, which I mentioned only as a commercial for my book. And then a lot of this was also covered uh, on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I go into all of this because we'll have to take another break here and we will be back with Kurt Collins talking about the Roswell will slide some more and maybe getting into the cash random case at that point. So we'll be right back after this. Back with Kurt Collins, we were talking about the Roswell slides, and I think we might have a little bit of debris to cover up, uh, cover up to uncover, to uh, repeat here, and then we'll hopefully move on to Cash Landrum. So as it stands now, the slides are clearly of a of a child who uh, was was killed centuries ago and uh, has been exploited for this whole Roswell Slides thing. And I know that some of the people who were involved are, are very upset about that. But it's also very clear that the investigation had lacked some of the precision that would have been necessary to get this thing cleaned up a lot earlier. I know they were talking about having shown the placard to a number of people, David Rudiak being one of them, in an attempt to blur it. But they also talked about showing it to some guys at the Pentagon and the photo interpretation teams there, Um, but that seems a little bit silly because their job is looking at uh, intelligence photographs, attempting to uh, identify uh, facilities, military facilities, military troop movements, things that are of, of interest to a military, as opposed to trying to decipher a placard seen close up. So some of the due diligence wasn't as precise as it could be and i think kurt you had made a good point about their um, investigation of the film stock itself and the slide mounts and that sort of thing proved that it was from the late 1940s that of course doesn't mean it was from roswell and the other interesting thing that you might want to comment on is it was clear that this was not a recently deceased individual this was Uh, a body that had been out in the desert for a long time. So it seems impossible that it would have been from uh, the Roswell UFO crash because you'd expect the remains not to be quite as degraded as they were.
4: Well, that's, uh, that was something that they didn't seem to have a, um, agreement on. In fact, there were comments that describing it that had been freshly autopsied. So I don't know that they understood what they were looking at. And, and, uh, uh it it's easy to um try to well either make accusations or guess what they should have known but it um it, it does seem mysterious that that what was seen because it was on a glass shelf um with with ratchets it it looked it may have looked more like a store shelf than a museum shelf, but nevertheless there was a lady standing behind the item and there were there were signs on it so it, it, it is puzzling, but you you were talking about the uh, the, the experts they used. Well, well during the show um, they made quite a bit of the, of the fact that these people were experts, but but some of them really weren't. And the uh, Adobe was cited at some point. And it was a, was a friend of Adam Dues at Adobe, and and it was it was a guy who handed it to a friend at the Pentagon, and. And the um, yeah, you know, I mentioned the software that was eventually used to deburr the placard was uh, was a trial version. Well, there were two other versions: uh, Photoshop CC and something Borody. And that, I don't, I don't think these are exotic tools either. So it just it seems uh, it seems puzzling that that none of those those people were able to get anything out of it. But you know there was. You know, definitely a failure there. I, I'm about through with the slides, but I wanted to point out that there's something that you had done, an article you had written um, got overshadowed by uh, Don Schmidt's apology later the same day. It was called uh, Fallout from the Fiasco," where you were talking about the state of UFO research and things that might be done to make it better. And I I thought that was an excellent piece, and if uh, uh, you know, hope your listeners will will go back and read that because one of the one of the big problems that we had with the, uh, the slides uh, research was that everything was so secretive, they, they, they were uh, had to sign a nondisclosure agreement, and they closely guarded it with everything. And so there were only a few people that had access to the material. And once that was opened up after the show, you know, things were quickly solved.
3: I think that their investigation in secrecy is somewhat justified, or would have been somewhat justified. If there hadn't been the leaks, and so they could have carried out the research quietly and privately, and and then announced the results once they had them all in, and I think there was something that was forcing their hand. There was there were leaks by someone into the uh, general UFO community, so we were all talking about this. Uh, within months of the slides surfacing or, or ending up in the hands of, of um, UFO researchers. So, you know, there, there were those sorts of problems. And I, I can understand wanting to carry out the investigation quietly so that you don't get an awful lot of other ancillary at, at, at things going on around that, but um, it, it was handled poorly from the very beginning, I think. And and if you had been a little bit more transparent, not I mean, if if they had been a little bit more transparent, uh, we probably wouldn't have had all of this trouble. Uh, with the slides going on. you know, I, They did some things that were good, which was going to Kodak and getting the analysis, the chemical compositions of the film, chemical compositions of the developing process, the, the history of the slide mounts, this history of, of the film, and all of that sort of thing was very, very good, but it didn't make the image an alien creature. And the one thing that I wanted to point out is Tom Carey is all but dissertation as a physical anthropologist. That's what he studied in, in college, in the university, in the graduate school. So he had a background in this sort of thing, and he was sort of caught up in the enthusiasm of wanting, to, wanting this to be an alien creature. And I think that was one of the things where they kind of slipped off the rails. They began the investigation with the idea, this is an alien, how do we prove it? As opposed to, this is an interesting image, what, does it, what is it?
4: That's that's a, another thing in this case, and you have to you know there are other things that have gone right and and wrong in other investigations. but this is one of the few that have been attached to a commercial enterprise and and the nondisclosure agreement they had to sign you know was was part of that because the 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 owners didn't want the images out and they didn't want to lose the value of having them exhibited. So you know that's that definitely plays a role that that it was it was a business proposition
3: and when we look at all of the other slides that were involved in this, which is the vacation slides that you had mentioned earlier, uh, giving us a insight into the, into the, um, rays and that sort of thing also, uh, could have given us some very valuable information if, had it not been piecemealed out the way it was. And I was always, as you'd mentioned, you know, the one slide of Eisenhower had his ribbons on the wrong side. So I, I knew the slide was reversed and I always wondered how that had happened. And I, uh, I, I would think that a professional photographer or a professional videographer such as Adam Dew would understand the emulsion side of the slide and, and would not have had that picture in there backwards. But you know those sorts of things bothered me. And I'd mentioned some of this stuff in the blog uh, when I was talking about this, as we were all talking about this. And I know that Tom and Don were more than a little annoyed that we were all talking about this thing before the Be Witness program But we got an awful lot of the stuff right based on the limited information we had. And we were talking about it because there were leaks out of their camp And by their camp, I mean not only Tom and Don, but Adam Dew and Joe Beeson and the other people who are involved. They were talking about this. We would not have known about this had there not been a leak from their camp. And so to criticize us for kind of discussing this and wanting to know more early on is sort of an unfair uh, criticism of the whole investigative process. Anything else you want to add to the slide uh, discussion? I think that, that about wraps it up.
4: I will just say that there there are a lot of interesting aspects to this, and I've been looking over the history and you know there's still some things that haven't been examined and told, but I think we're I think we're done with it for the moment.
3: well, <laughs> good now, as I tried to do earlier, and you cut me off, which you should did. never do which you should never do the host because it just angers him immensely <laughs> uh. You know, uh Cash Landrum is a very interesting UFO case. Give us a quick uh, synopsis of what happened.
4: The the date is important. This was at, right at the end of 1980, uh, between Christmas and the uh, New Year's Eve. And there were uh, two ladies in their 50s with one of them's grandson, and they had uh, been out for a drive. They, it was about 9 o'clock at night, and they encountered a, a large bright object emitting heat over the road and they actually had um they had to stop and it it eventually moved off and they, they saw it from a couple of other locations and so the um Well, there are a lot of pieces of the story. I'm trying to keep this short. So, uh, but afterwards, it was Betty Cash was the driver. She um she dropped uh, the passenger Vicki Landerman and her, her grandson Colby off at home, and, and she well, went. Well,
3: let's what she, what did they see? You you say object. What did they see?
4: Well, that is um that's an interesting point in itself. First of all, it was they estimated it's being as large or larger than a water tower, and it was you know maybe 90 feet up in the air, and it was, um, the, it, the motion must have been somewhat erratic. They did, described it almost as if it was bobbing up and down, and it would periodically uh, uh, emit a, like a jet of flames. And, uh, but strangely, the propulsion did not seem to be the flames. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, that don't make sense. And they really, due to the brightness, they, the ladies weren't able to really see it clearly. You know, it was it was it was blinding light, uh, and it was only later the the boy Colby described it as being diamond shaped, but they initially said that they you know it was too too bright for them to describe. Um, it uh, it also made some mechanical noises, which are which are puzzling. Uh, they they said it made kind of a sound like air brakes.
3: So um, they 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 see the object. Um, they're I think one of them gets outside of the car. The car surface gets very hot, apparently from the radiation, meaning heat or light. Um, eventually the object is gone. They return turn to their ho- homes. Uh, what happened at well, that point?
4: Well, as, as the object, and, and there's some disagreement exactly just when, but as the object was moving away from the first time, they, they saw some some objects in flight, which they thought initially were planes, and when they moved to another location, when it when because was, was a kind of a winding road, they they saw the object again, and, and they got a closer look at the helicopters, which they claimed was a double rotor Chinook. Um, they didn't recognize it as that; they identified it later from pictures. Um, and, and once it had passed, then they continued the trip on home. And then uh, Betty dropped off Colby and, and Vicki, and then she was. She was already feeling ha- having a headache, and um, the the next day she was she was so sick she had uh, flu flu like symptoms, and um, she didn't um, show up for uh, they she was preparing to move her business or just closed it. It's kind of unclear. And uh, Vicky was supposed to help her the next day, and when Betty didn't show, they went to check on her, and, and Betty was sick in bed. Vicky took her home with her, and she stayed there for a few days. And after she didn't improve, took her to the hospital. And she had these uh, boil-like things over her skin. You know, she had these skin problems, and um, and and at some point, she, she was in the hospital for about two weeks. It got better some, and was released. And I think it was at that, that point that she had this this hair loss. And okay. the doctors.
3: Let me let me break in here to uh, announce one thing that I know it's a little bit disjointed here about the description of of the sighting. You can get a greater detail at uh, Kurt's website at www.blueberryblurrylines.com, uh, and so we'll take a quick break here uh, for the commercials and whatnot and be back with Kurt Collins. We'll talk a little bit more about the Cash Landrum case and if you are interested in the Roswell Slides, as I say uh, take a look at my blog. You can type Roswell Slides into the search engine and come up with that at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and I have a condensed version of that in the book, Roswell in the 21st Century, that is available in the bookstores even as we speak. We will be back with Kurt Collins right after this.
0: GeneX provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun.
3: are back with Kurt Collins, who is the owner, proprietor of www.blueblurrylines.com. That's hard for me to say, blueblurrylines.com. We were talking about the Cash Landrum case and that the witnesses had been hospitalized. There were some medical problems. Uh, Can can you expand on that for us, Kurt?
4: Well, it's important to to note that it was just one of the victims that was that was terribly sick, and that was uh, that was Betty Cash. She um, she had these symptoms that resembled radiation poisoning. She had uh, she had these um, this this rash and um, boil like lesions over her body, or her face and scalp were swollen, and her um, the hair from her head was was falling out. She lost I think over half of half of the hair there were there were tests, but the tests apparently did not uh, confirm uh, radiation poisoning. So the um, she, she was uh, uh, she was hospitalized for for almost almost a month. they They wanted help. They wanted answers to know what had happened to him uh... Vicki Lander began calling. She called the uh, the National UFO Reporting Center, and it was at the time in the hands of uh, robert Gribble. and And luckily, we have a recording of that call, and you know, which is pretty interesting because most historic cases, we don't have a piece of, of of evidence like that. but But she described the problems that her friend was having, and she was worried that if she didn't receive help that she was going to die. And the uh, she didn't she didn't go into a, a great deal of detail. but, um the basics of the case were laid out there it was passed on to the organization the um oh now I've forgotten what apro stands for
3: buri uh, phenomena research organization
4: thank you uh, You're welcome. and uh, the operator there uh uh took the information and as it happens it was intercepted by um by Bill English and he wound up now this this is like one of the worst parts of the story but in those days, uh, UFO organizations had a friendly relationship with tabloid newspapers. The National Enquirer was one, and there was uh, also the Weekly World News. Well, he sold the tip to the story to the Weekly World News, and so in store, instead of it getting investigated as a UFO case, immediately was written up as a tabloid UFO story.
3: Well, let me let me However, break in here. Let, let me break in here. There's a world of difference between the National Enquirer and the Weekly World News, and in the UFO. Not at that time. Well, the, the not at that time. Actually, uh, uh, Bob Pratt worked for the New- worked for the National Enquirer, and he did a very good job of attempting to uh, ferret out information on UFO reports. He was a very careful researcher, as opposed to some of the stuff that was going on at the Weekly World News. But we have the story in a tabloid newspaper from Bill English, and that kind of in- impeded the uh, UFO investigators.
4: Well, I'm not sure if it if it did or not. I think it's just the the, the delay um, is is what happened. I, Apro was based in uh, Arizona, yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, okay. Um, they eventually, I, 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 sorry, getting tongue tied here. <laughs> Speaking Lander made another call because no, uh, you know, she wasn't getting a response, and um, Apro decided to pass the case off to the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, they were at that time based in the, in Texas and had investigators that lived close to it. And it was it, John Schusler eventually was brought in, but un- frustratingly enough, not not by it being passed off. Um, the uh, when Betty Cash was feeling better and was released, she was making calls, and she even called NASA and left a message. And and as a result of it getting in the tabloid. Um, a local reporter was involved. I think she was actually the photographer for the the tabloid story, and and she put uh, Betty Cash in touch with John Schusler, and and that is when it began really as a UFO investigation, and um, he interviewed uh, Betty Cash, took photographs of her, and those those photographs are are around, they're on my site, and just about any time you, you look at an article on the piece. You can see, but uh, you can't see the skin problems in the photograph. But the hair loss is evident. And, uh, and another unfortunate thing about the case is the the, the man was an engineer working for um, at, at Johnson Space Center. Now that's John
3: Schuessler. John Schuessler was working yes. at NASA.
4: Exactly. Uh, th- there was basically no one at the time. That was a full-time UFO investigator, so he had to wait a week before he could uh, interview the other witness, uh, Vicki Landrum. So, you, you know, for uh, as it, as important a case this was, it you you would think that you know, they would be on it, you know, on top of it right away. But that just wasn't the case. It was it was after a month after the event before contact was made with the UFO investigator, and then a week between the f- interview of the first and second witness. But they talked to her, they talked to the boy Colby, gathered information and, and went out to try to find the, the location. And they on on the road they um they they went to the road and as we found out later from documents from the Texas Department of Health who investigated it later, the precise location wasn't known. But the, the stretch of road, at least the approximate area, was was found and, and photographed, and you know, they gathered a lot of information and, and sort of put together. Well, they knew they knew their path home, so they knew the other places they'd encountered. One of them was a cemetery, and that's where they had seen the, uh, the helicopters. Uh, I'm going to stop there, and because I'm sure you got some some questions, and we probably need to move ahead.
3: Well, I was going to. Uh get to the point of the helicopters there were a number of them quite a few of them how many helicopters did they talk about
4: well they, they said they stopped um they stopped at the at at that cemetery and then also as they passed through huffman there was a stop sign on the on the road to back to where they lived in dayton texas and they said they counted 23
3: helicopters so we got 23 23 chinook helicopters flying around this object, this diamond shaped object between Christmas and New Year's. As which if
4: is, as if they were pursuing it. And and one thing about the, the helicopters, there was apparently more than one type and it is it's which the the others were smaller, so well we could I don't think they've ever been identified. You know, we could speculate it might be a, a bell or but but anyway, well, the, yes, the thing the thing helicopters.
3: That, the thing that bothers me about this is is the timing, and that's between Christmas and the holidays. When the military, uh, if you don't have an essential job that requires you to be uh, at work, you know, some kind of a, a high security job, that you're on you're on leave. And I'm not sure whether they'd have gotten enough pilots to fly all those helicopters. Not to mention the logistical problems of refueling them, um, taking care of the crews. Uh, where were the crews? Crews? Uh, lodged, that sort of thing. So you've got a major logistical problem there, and I don't know of anybody who's ever found any evidence of all those helicopters being in that area at that time.
4: No, that's that's a problem. And in investigating events at the time, there was a promising lead that eventually went nowhere. It was the um, the fact that there was a... You know, I mentioned the time was important. This was during the time that, that American hostages were held in Iran. And... There had been a, a one failed mission in nineteen seventy nine and a second one was was in the works and they had practiced in fact area fifty one w- was first named in the media because of a because of the crash of the um the the nineteen seventy nine crash and um cause that's where they had practiced and the the that the, the nineteen eighty mission that was planned they they flew all over the area and they were flying chinooks and other and and uh bell- he- helicopters Practicing night missions, so there were pilots trained for such a thing, but there was no, there's no UFO. But you know, examining the documents, it doesn't put them in in that part of Texas or probably Texas at all at the night. And as you say, uh, then they were the pilots were on leave, and you know it was basically a skeleton crew. So there's never been a credible um, lead on on the. Helicopters, and there was a false lead. Though I don't know if we've got time to talk about that.
3: Well, I was going to say we're we're running out of time, and what I the final question I really want answered here. I'm sure the people want it. What do you think they saw? What do you think happened?
4: I'm going to leave that open to, to possibility. Now, it's important to remember that that the people themselves felt that this was uh, that the military was in control of this, and it was probably a military project. They didn't. Uh, they didn't believe in aliens. They they said that that if if by some means it was an alien encounter, you know, UFO from outer space, that that the military involvement, you know, that they knew about it. So so no matter whether this was a military project or not, this was, the military had knowledge of it, and they felt like this could could help them, and, and they felt like it was being being covered up. But there were but i agree with you about the helicopters that's a huge inconsistency and um uh, i know anybody listening to this show should know who uh, j allen heinick was he uh, had uh, one of his investigators had examined the case Alan hendry so he was he was up to speed on it and he was under the uh, impression that the helicopters were not physically real you know if if the people saw helicopters it could have been that this was some projection from this this UFO, whatever it was, whether it was interdimensional or, or whatever. So he well, basically, he trusted the witness, saw something, but not that they were Army helicopters.
3: Well, we've run out of time here. If you want to read a lot more about this, you can visit Kurt's website at www.blueberry.lines.com. And if you're interested in...
1: You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So instead, we're going to hire a professional voice actor and pay him absurd amounts of money to say, I like this product. Hmm, not sure why that was better. I mean, I'm a professional too, but we didn't pay him to say the business part, so back to me. Save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. Sorry, I know hearing me say it was a bit of a letdown.